Welcome to the Mahabharat podcast. The eagle is the national symbol or emblem of the United States of America, Russia, Germany, and many other sovereign states all over the world. It seems to have fascinated the human mind and imagination across geographies and cultures from the most ancient to the most recent. Perhaps the root cause of this intrigue lies in the eagle's natural ability to fly, combined with the magnificence and beauty of its form. From Frank Sinatra in 1964, with Fly to the Moon, to Seal in the 1990s, who sang Fly Like an Eagle, the bird seems to consolidate in the human mind desirable attributes that span from strength to grace. In the ancient Greek classics, the eternal companion of Zeus, king of the Olympian gods, was an eagle called Atos Dios, meaning the divine eagle, and it was he who carried Zeus's thunderbolts. Eagles, for the Greeks, represented strength and victory and featured in their art, stories, and military standards. Eagle in Latin is aquile, and in Rome became the prominent symbol of the Roman Empire, featuring on legionary standards and seals and coinage. For the Romans, the eagle represented strength, valor, and dominance. In Native American culture, the eagle has symbolized courage, wisdom, and spiritual connection. Southeast Asia, which has a strong nexus to Vedic culture, it is not only the eagle, but specifically the eagle carrier of Vishnu, called Garuda, that features very visibly in those nations to this day. After India, China, and the United States of America, Indonesia, with almost a quarter of a billion people, is the fourth most populous country in the world. Garuda Panchashila is a golden eagle symbolizing the five core tenets of the Indonesian state, and this symbol today adorns the national emblem. The national airline founded in 1949 and flying around 15 million people a year to this day is named Garuda Airlines. Garuda Vishnu Kenjana, the cultural park in Bali, has Garuda 75 meters tall and 4,000 tons heavy, a deity that was one of the key attractions for the G20 leaders hosting their welcome meeting when Indonesia held the presidency of the G20 in 2022. Outside of Southeast Asia, in Taiwan, Garuda is depicted on the Air Force emblem and reflects traditional Chinese beliefs relating to the mentions of Garuda in Buddhism. In Thailand, Phra Krut Phra 
is what Garuda is known as, as the vehicle of Vishnu, and serves as the Thai national emblem, appearing on official documents and at their government buildings and all foreign embassies, as well as on many Thai bat coins. In Cambodia, generations of the Khmer people have worshipped Garuda as their protector, and he is associated with royalty throughout Cambodia. Garuda appears in the great ancient temple of Angkor Wat, a Hindu temple dedicated to Lord Vishnu for the Khmer Empire by King Suryavarman II in the 12th century. Similar links to Garuda can be found in Myanmar, Nepal, the Philippines and Sri Lanka. And so what are the acts by which Garuda acquired such prominence amongst the birds in so many parts of the world to this day? And how did he come to be known as the great eagle carrier of Lord Vishnu? With his mind fixed upon his object to liberate his mother, Vinata, from the unfortunate gamble that had led to her becoming a slave of her sister, Kadru, Garuda ascended high into the skies. With his piercing beak leading his huge and fire-like effulgent body, effortlessly through each blanket of clouds, his mission to take the dearly cherished and ever secured ambrosial nectar from the gods by force if required. In preparation for his mission, to ensure that he was well nourished, Garuda after having discovered his enormous appetite, had on the advice of his father, Gashyap Muni, feasted on the Nishada tribe, almost making them extinct. Having still not been satisfied, Garuda had sought out and seized the fighting elephant and tortoise, who were two brothers in their previous lives, ever sworn to arguing with one another over their mutual wealth, and later condemned to death by the father of Garuda, Gashyap Muni, for not cooperating better as brothers. As the huge shadow of Garuda approached Amarvati, the city of immortals, the kingdom of Indra, also known as Svargaloka, various mysterious and dark omens had begun to appear. Indra's thunderbolt, the Vajra, blazed up in fright. Meteors with flames and smoke loosened from the welkin shot down in daytime, making the skies terrifying to behold. The weapons of the Vasus, the Rudras, the Adityas, the Sabyas, the Marutas, began to expend their forces against one another without provocation. He who was the god of gods, Indra, 
shed showers of blood into the skies. Such things had not happened before, even in the times of war between the gods and the demons. At these forebodings, Indra spoke unto the preceptor of the heavens, Vrihaspati, the son of Brigu. Why, O worshipful one, Brihaspati, have these natural disturbances suddenly arisen? No foe do I behold who would oppress us in war, and yet someone appears to attempt to frighten us. And Brihaspati, the wise sage and guardian of the gods, answered, O chief of the gods, O thou of a thousand sacrifices, it is from thy fault and carelessness, and owing also to the ascetic penance of the high-souled great sages, the Valakilias, that the son of Kashyap and Vinatha, the ranger of the skies, Garuda, endued with great strength and possessing the capacity of assuming at his own will any form is fast approaching the heavens to take away the Soma Nectar. And that bird Garuda, foremost amongst all endued with great strength, is well capable to rob you of this. For everything is possible with him, the unachievable he can achieve. Indra, having heard these words, then spoke unto those comrades of his who guarded the nectar. A bird, endued with great strength and energy, has set his heart on taking away that which we have strived hardest for, that which is most dear to us, the Amrita, the nectar. I warn you beforehand so that he may not succeed in taking it away by force. Brihaspati has told me that his strength is immeasurable. And the gods, hearing of this, became alarmed and invoked their plans should they come under threat. Together they configured, surrounding the ambrosial nectar, and given the seriousness of threat, their enigmatic leader, Indra, the wielder of thunder, stood alongside them. They wore curious-looking breastplates set in classical style, with gold bedecked with gems and sinewy leathern armor. The mighty deities wielded various sharp-edged weapons of terrible shape seeming to have their own personalities, countless in number and emitting sparks of fire with smoke. And they were armed with discuses and iron maces furnished with spikes, tridents, battle axes and sharp pointed missiles, polished swords and maces of terrible form, all befitting their respective bodies, capable of splitting the towns of the Asuras, the demons, all displayed themselves in forms resplendent as the fire. 
The area seemed to shine like a firmament, illuminated by the rays of the sun. Decked with celestial ornaments, resplendent with bright arms, the gods waited, surrounding the doors of heaven, with their fears being temporarily allayed by dint of their preparatory postures. And so in such manner, the great gods of incomparable strength, energy and splendour resolved to protect the Amrita, the ambrosial nectar. The sage Shonaka, of inquisitive nature, having in his mind a network of questions being triggered by these acts of Garuda in approaching the heavens, inquired of Sutta Goswami, O son of Sutta, what was Indra's fault that Garuda was approaching in this way? What exactly was his act of carelessness? And how was Garuda born in consequence of the ascetic penances of those Valakiriya sages who were found hanging upside down on a tree? Why also did the sage Gashyap, a Brahmana, have the lord of birds for a son? Why too was he invincible, unslayable amongst all creatures? Why also was that ranger of the skies capable of going into every place at will and of mustering at will any measure of energy. If these are described in the Puranas, I should like to hear them, O Sutta. Sutta Goswami, after reflection over sage Shonaka's questions, replied, what thou askest me is indeed the subject of the Puranas. O twice-born one, listen carefully as I briefly recite it. Once upon a time, when that great sage and progenitor of the races, Sage Gashyap, was engaged in a sacrifice stemming for his desire for offspring, the sages, the gods, and the Gandharvas combined, all understanding well sage Kashyapa's benevolence towards all living entities, offered him their help. Indra was appointed by Kashyap to bring the sacrificial fuel, and along with Indra too were appointed the ascetics known as the Valakilyas. And taking up according to his own strength, a weight of fuel that was mountain-like, Indra bought it without exhibiting the slightest fatigue. On his way, he had seen some minute-sized sages of bodies of the measure no more than the size of a human thumb, and all of these sages together carried a single stalk of a palasa, the butea fondosa, the leaf for fuel, as their contribution towards Kashyapa's sacrifice. These sages, the Valakilyas, 
were from a lack of nutrition, very lean, and almost merged into their own bodies. And they were so small and weak. They were also suffering from the affliction of having been sunk into the water that had collected in an indentation on the road that was produced by the hoof of a passing cow. And the god of a hundred sacrifices, Indra, beheld them with surprise, and passing them overhead, feeling then proud of his strength, laughed at them in a deriding tone, and insulted them with condescending words muttered under his breath. And the Valakilias, as a result, were filled with sorrow, and eventually this turned into rage, and one that would be channeled to teach Indra a lesson for deriding the weak. The news of the Valakilias wanting to even the scores with Indra through some means soon circulated through the community of gods and sages, and eventually the news returned back to Indra, who became filled with fear. As the sacrifice was readied, those vow-observing, wise and excellent Valakilias poured clarified butter of the sacrificial fire and loudly uttered mantras, declaring, There shall be another Indra of gods, capable of going everywhere at will, of mustering any measure of power, and striking fear into the present Indra, the king of the gods. By the fruit of our ascetic penance, let one arise as fleet as the mind, and fierce with all. And the Lord of the Celestials, Indra, hearing these specificities, entered into a state of alarm and sought the protection of none other than the vow-observing sage, Gushyap himself. And sage Gushyap, hearing from Indra that which had come to be, went to the Valakilya sages and asked them if their sacrifice had become successful. The truth-speaking Valakilya sages replied to Indra, Let it be as thou sayest, to which the sage Gushyap replied, By the word of a Brahmin, this Indra hath been made the lord of three worlds. However, yea, ascetics, O Valakilyas, Ye are at the same time striving to create yet another Indra. Yea, excellent ones, it behoveth thee not to falsify the words of Brahma. Let not, though, this purpose, for accomplishing which ye are striving, be rendered futile also. So let there spring an Indra, a lord of winged creatures, endued with excess of strength. This being should be favourable to the gods and yourselves both. Be gracious unto Indra, who is a supplicant before you, and in this way satisfy both considerations and desires. 
and the Valakilya sages, thus addressed by sage Gushup, offered reverence to that first of sages and then spoke. O Prajapati Kashyap, this sacrifice of us all is for an Indra, but indeed this sacrifice hath also been meant for a son being born unto thee. So let this task now be left to thee, and in this matter do whatsoever thou seest to be good and proper, O dear and wise sage Kashyap. Meanwhile under the heavens, in the realm of the humans, moved also by the desire to give birth to offspring, the noble daughter of Daksh, the vow-observing, amiable and fortunate Vinata, her ascetic penances being complete, having purified herself with a bath in the season when connubial companionship may prove fruitful, approached her husband and lord, sage Kashyap. And Kashyap said to his wife, Vinata, My dear and respected Vinata, the sacrifice commenced by me hath borne fruit. What hath been desired by thee shall come to pass. Two heroic sons shall be born to thee, who shall be the lords of the three worlds. By the penances of the great Valakilya sages, and by virtue of the desire with which I commenced this sacrifice, those sons shall be of exceedingly good fortune, and will be worshipped by all. After declaring so, Gushyap said to Vinata, Bear thou these auspicious seeds with great care. The two will be the lords of all winged creatures. Those heroic rangers of the skies will also be capable of assuming any form at their will. Gratified with what had taken place, Gushyap addressed Indra. Thou shalt have two brothers of great energy and prowess, who shall bear friendship towards thee, O Indra. From them no injury shall result unto thee. O Indra, let thy sorrow cease, thou shalt continue as the Lord of all. Let not, however, the utterers of the name of Brahma those great brahmanas, whose very blessed presence sustains the earth, be ever again insulted by thee in the way you insulted these innocent and noble Valakilyas. Indra thus addressed, flew on his celestial elephant, Eravat, back to his kingdom in the heavens, his fears having been allayed by the wise sage, Gushyap. Vinatha also, her purpose being fulfilled, was exceedingly glad, and in the hermitage of sage Gushyap, gave birth to the two brothers, Aruna and Garuda. Hear now, O Shonaka, the mighty achievements of Garuda.
O foremost of Brahmanas, Shonaka, with the assembly of gods having prepared for a battle to guard the nectar that was most precious to them, Garuda, the king of birds, approached the gates of the heavens. With Garuda entering the fray, the gods beholding him of excessive strength began to quake with fear that gripped them from within their depths, becoming like puppets of bewilderment and anxiety. They began to strike one another with their own weapons, making the world dark with the dust raised by the hurricanes caused by Garuda's wings. He overwhelmed the celestials and swooned away. The immortals guarding the nectar, blinded by the sheer quantity of dust, could no longer see anything that was before them. Then that god, Indra, the one of a thousand eyes, commanded the god of wind, Vayu, Dispel thou this shower of dust created by this most powerful being, O Maruta. This is indeed your task. In obedience to Indra, the mighty Vayu drove away the dust storms, and when that darkness had disappeared, the celestials all together attacked again the mighty Garuda. Being attacked, Garuda roared like the great cloud that appeareth in the sky at the end of an age, frightening every creature in the welkin. That king of birds, of great energy, the slayer of hostile heroes, rose up into the sky with two flaps of his enormous wings. The wise celestials, with Indra amongst them, saw Garuda fly overhead, creating a huge shadow over the ground that he flew over. Garuda then ravaged the gods again from all sides, coming down with a tremendous speed and fighting ferociously without wavering his intensity of attack for even a moment. Blood began to flow copiously from the bodies of the countless gods, mangled by the talons and the beak of the great eagle. Overcome by the lord of birds, the Sadhyas with the Gandharvas fled eastwards, the Vasus with the Rudras towards the south, the Adityas towards the west, and the twin Ashvins towards the north. Garuda, having deprived all of these personalities of their lives, reducing the size of his form, went where the ambrosial nectar was being guarded. Garuda saw the nectar was surrounded by violently raging fires, which didn't allow even a single glance to fall upon the nectar. Assuming ninety mouths, Garuda, drinking the waters of many rivers, extinguished the fire within a moment. He then assumed an even smaller form, with an intention of entering the inner chambers where the nectar was held. Assuming then a small and golden body, 
bright as the rays of the sun. Garuda entered the chamber with great force, like a torrent entering the ocean. Assuming then a small and golden body, bright as the rays of the sun, Garuda entered the chamber with great force, like a torrent entering the ocean. And looking around, he saw placed near the nectar a wheel of steel, keen-edged and sharp as the razor, revolving incessantly. That fierce instrument of the splendor of the blazing sun and of terrible form had been devised by the gods for cutting into pieces any thief of the prized nectar. Seeing a passage through it, Garuda stopped there for a moment, and diminishing his body, in an instant he passed through the spokes of the wheel. Then appeared two great snakes with the effulgence of blazing fire and tongues bright as the lightning flash with mouths emitting fire and eyes burning in anger. He who may have been seen by them would be instantly reduced into ashes. Garuda quickly covered their eyes with dust, using a gush of his wings, and then unseen by them, he attacked them from every side, mangling them into shreds, and approached the Soma Nectar without any loss of time. Taking up the nectar in his bloody talons, Garuda took flight upwards, breaking into pieces with his beak the machine that had surrounded it. ever-effulgent Garuda, having departed the heavens without the least fatigue, darkened the splendor of the sun as he flew past, en route back to the snakes to present them the nectar that would be used to liberate his mother Vinata. Charting through the skies, Garuda saw in the distance a huge shining ball of effulgence. Approaching nearer, he saw a spinning golden disc and the conch shell. It was none other than the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu. Vishnu, also known as Narayan, or one of the ocean, was gratified with Garuda, especially with his act of selflessness and great magnanimity towards his dear mother, Vinata. And that deity, Narayan, who knows no deterioration, said unto Garuda, Dear Garuda, I am inclined to grant thee a boon. Ask of me thy wish. The ranger of the skies, being fond of being at heights, thereupon replied to Lord Vishnu, I would like to stay above thee. I shall like to be immortal and free from all disease. 
and all without drinking this nectar. And Vishnu replied to the son of Vinata, Be it so. Garuda receiving those boons granted by Lord Vishnu said again, I should also like to grant thee a boon, my lord. Therefore, let thou, the possessor of the six attributes, ask me. Vishnu then asked the mighty Garuda to become his carrier, to which Garuda most gladly obliged. And Vishnu, to satisfy Garuda's boon, also put Garuda in the form of an emblem on the flagstaff of his own car, saying, Even thus thou shalt also stay above me, dear Garuda. And the ranger of the skies of great speed replied, Be this so. After this, one of the names of Vishnu is Garudadvaja, meaning one with Garuda on his flagstaff. Garuda then swiftly vended on his way, so even to mock the wind with his speed. And while that foremost of rangers of the sky, that first of winged creatures, was coursing through the air after resting the celestial nectar for the liberation of his mother, Indra, being unable to tolerate the taking of it by force, hurled at Garuda his great thunderbolt, the Vajra. Flying through the air, that thunderbolt struck the wing of Garuda, and Garuda, feeling something on his wing, turned around to see what it was, and indeed who had thrown it. Seeing Indra, Garuda, in amusement, said the following words in a sweet tone. I shall respect the sage Dadichi, of whose bone the Vajra has been made. I should also respect the Vajra, and also thee of a thousand sacrifices. And so I cast this single feather of mine to represent the effect of thy weapon. In all honesty though, struck with thy thunderbolt, I have felt not the slightest pain. Having said this, the king of birds, Garuda, cast a single feather of his, and all creatures became exceedingly glad, beholding that excellent feather of Garuda so cast off. Seeing that the feather was exceedingly beautiful, they said, Let this bird be called Suparna, one having fair feathers, and Indra of a thousand eyes, witnessing this wonderful incident, knew that the bird was a very strong and powerful being, and addressed him thus, O best of birds, I desire to know the limit of thy great strength. I also desire eternal friendship with thee. Garuda replied, O Indra, indeed let there be friendship between thee and me, as thou desire. My strength, thou know, is hard to bear. O thou of a thousand sacrifices, 
The good never approve of speaking highly of their own strength, nor do they speak of their own merits. But being made a friend and asked by thee, I will answer thee. Although self-praise without reason is ever improper, I can bear on a single feather of mine, O Indra, this earth with her mountains and forests, and with the waters of the ocean, and with thee also stations thereon. Know thou, my strength is such that I can bear without fatigue even all of the worlds together with their immobile and mobile objects. And after Garuda of great courage had thus spoken, Indra replied, It is as thou sayest, everything is possible in thee, except now my sincere and hearty friendship. And if thou hast no concern with the Soma nectar, return it to me. Those to whom thou would give it would always oppose us. And Garuda answered, There is a certain reason for which the Soma nectar is being carried by me. I shall not give the Soma nectar to anyone for drink. But O thou of a thousand eyes, after I have placed it down, thou, O Lord of the heavens, can then, taking it up, instantly bring it away. Indra replied, O oviparous one, I am highly gratified with your words. O best of all rangers of the skies, accept from me any boon that thou may desire. And Garuda, recollecting the sons of Kadru, and remembering also the bondage of his mother, Venata, caused by an act of deception, said, Although I have power over all creatures, yet I shall do your bidding. Let, O Sakra, Indra, the mighty snakes become my food. The slayer of the Dhanavas, Indra, said, Be it so. Indra then went to Vishnu, Narayan, the Lord of Lords, and the latter sanctioned everything that had been spoken by Garuda. The illustrious Indra then said unto Garuda, I shall bring away the Soma nectar when thou place it on the ground. And having said so, Indra bade farewell to his friend Garuda. And the bird of fair feathers then went to the presence of his mother Vinata with great speed. And Garuda, in joy, spoke unto all of the snakes, Here have I bought the celestial nectar, the Amrita. Let me place it on some kusa grass. O oh, ye snakes, sitting here, drink of it after ye has performed your ablutions and religious rites. As said by you, let my mother, Vinata, from this day be free, for I have accomplished your bidding. The snakes, having said unto Garuda, be it so, 
went to perform their ablutions. Meanwhile, Indra, taking up the Amrita, vended back to the heavens. Returning from their ablutions, the snake saw that the bed of Kusha grass, whereon the Amrita had been placed, was empty. The Amrita itself having been taken away by a counteract of deception. The snakes began to lick their tongues using the sharp kusha grass, as the Amrita had been placed thereon, and the snakes had a hope they could sip some traces of the nectar. The tongues of the snakes, by that act, became divided into two, and the kusha grass too, from its contact with Amrita, became sacred thenceforth. Then the great bird of fair feathers, Garuda, very much delighted, enjoyed himself in the woods, accompanied by his dear mother, Vinata. What can we take away from the stories and character of Garuda that has led to his being highly revered in so many parts of the world? First comes justice. Garuda, from his childhood, had an eye for what was just and what was unjust, and through his journey continued to keep sight of this most important consideration of justice or fairness, beginning with the unjust slavery of his mother, Vinata. Once obtaining the details of this affair, Garuda became fixed on executing practical solutions without any delay. Second is the capability to stand his ground. Garuda was highly capable and bold a personality always standing his ground, whether in the face of his stepbrothers, the thousands of snakes, or Indra, the king of gods. Third is giving encouragement to those who are less strong, as well as Indra's belittling the Valakilya sages and being chastised for this by the father of Garuda, Kashyap. In later stories, we shall see how Garuda comes to the aid of a helpless but highly determined mother sparrow who was in the search of her eggs that had been taken by the ocean. And fourth is Garuda's attitude of servitude. Ultimately Garuda became the eternal servitor of Lord Vishnu, accompanying him in some of the most prolific events and battles that the stories of the Puranas and the Mahabharata tell of. And so the Mahabharata section of the Ashtika Parva, of the Adi Parva, that cites Garuda's stories ends by saying, Those who would listen to this story of Garuda must surely go to heaven, acquiring great benefit from the recitation 
of these grand feats of the great Garuda.